0: Usyk will be ringside watching the fight. Usyk's a sausage. What will he learn when he watches you up close and personal, do you think? I have no idea, I don't really care. Usyk has also suggested um, that he needs a longer training camp. Do you expect the fight to take place in December or do you think it will be pushed back? Nope, I expect it to be taking place in December, that's what I've been told, so I've got no reason to disbelieve it, for sure. Usyk has to fight me in December, he doesn't have a choice. He signed a contract, so if he doesn't, he's breached contract and he gets sued. So yeah, he uh, doesn't really have a choice. And Anthony Joshua told Sky Sports last night that he'll face you next year. Should we believe what he says? Out in the cold! Frozen! <laughs> <laughs> i going to take that as a no then, I should not believe him. Out in the cold, frozen! Um, we have defeated Deontay Wilder twice. Yeah. Is Joshua good enough to beat him? They're both out in the cold. Frozen! frozen. <laughs> Do you think he could beat? They're both out in the cold and they're both frozen, so it don't really matter. Hey, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where I feel really proud to say that Isaac Chamberlain is the British and the Commonwealth Cruiserweight Champion. Uh, still pretty mind-blowing actually. It's. I'm going to come on to talk about the the fight in detail but it's just more the the whole story behind it is crazy isn't it? When you really think about Isaac Chamberlain when you really go back in your own individual archives and look at the story you know Young, talented Brixton Cruiserweight, charismatic, interesting, on his way up, fights Wadi Camacho, pops his shoulder out, goes back in, goes on to win, and he becomes the fan's favourite, because we love to see that, that's the warrior spirit. Everything goes well, Um, the Ocoli fight happens, and it's a bit of a damn squib, Um, you know, Stars make fights, obviously a clash of styles, it wasn't great. And from that point, I don't think there's been a boxer since February 2018, I think it is, that has been that unlucky in terms of just situation after situation. So if you remember, he was training with Ted for the Akoli fight and then that went south pretty quick. And he was trying to break away from Ted, couldn't break away from Ted. The board wouldn't support it for whatever reason. Maybe, you know, there's more to it than we'll ever know. But he stuck with Ted as a manager. And he's trying to find a train and he goes to Angel Fernandez and he's training out of, I think it was Raptors at the time. Actually, no, no, let me start again. He's training with Jorge Rubio and Angel Fernandez. And so when all of that starts to go a bit bit mad, Isaac makes a choice and he chooses Rubio. That goes a bit south. Ends up with Glenn Johnson. That goes a bit south. And, and at this point, you're just wondering, like, what's going on? He came back and started training with one of his old amateur coaches. That didn't work out either. And all this time, we're not, seeing the career momentum we know this young man deserves. And I talk about this, and the reason I talk about it is I've kind of lived through it. Like, there were times when Isaac and I would talk and he'd be in Miami going, what am I doing here? Um, or there'd be times where he'd be at home in the UK and he'd go, why me? How, how have I got the world's bad luck on my shoulders? They, and bear in mind, in all of this time, you never saw Isaac out of shape. You never heard about Isaac drinking excessively. You never heard about Isaac doing anything other than training. That resolve, that resilience, that ability to still be of interest to sponsors and get looked after because people believed in him. And to see all of what I've just mentioned reach its rightful conclusion on Saturday against Mikhail Lawal. I think for most people, That's as emotional as you're going to get in a fight because you just wanted the kid to win the belts. You knew he deserved. You knew he was at this level five years ago. And he just hasn't had the chance to show it. Things have fallen through. They've risen. They've fallen. He was meant to be the face of Channel 5 Box and that didn't work. And you look and you go, I hope this is the start of his career kicking on now. I hope Sky, I hope Boxer, do the right thing for Isaac Chamberlain and say, you deserve to have the career you want because we know for certain you've given the fans what they've asked for every time. We will leave it in your capable hands because on a platform where there aren't a lot of stars and there aren't a lot of genuine good news stories, um, unmanufactured organic stories, Isaac Chamberlain is definitely one of those. But let me just take a, a step back and talk about the event on Saturday because it was weird being at your call for a Sky event. I, I might have done a boxer show with Matchroom before, but I always feel that the Sky production is too big for your call. So anyone that was there will agree with this. There was a whole chunk of space just basically given to Skybods. Not fans, just skybots running around with clipboards and pieces of paper, um, drinks, whatever. They were just running around, like just a load of gophers there, some commentary. Um, shouts out to Andy Scott, who was doing the, the ringside interviews. They had their little bullpen that had kind of semi-famous people in there. You know you know those sort of people just, just, they just hang around boxing, don't they? And they hang around boxing in this really warped idea that they're still relevant. And so they were all sat in their little bullpen, um, just I mean, like a bullpen of clowns, to be honest with you. And so, like, they're basically taking up like a third of York Hall with just people who, who aren't fans, they're just floaters, flotsam and jetsam. Um, they had their own kind of VIP row, which as, <laughs> as the fight, as the night drew on, became more and more cramped and actually became really, really uncomfortable. And you could see that there were people who were like, yeah, th- this doesn't work. Because in a bigger venue, you'd have more space. Um, definitely a bit of a squeeze And Mick Hennessy showed up. Man, but a big shout out to Mick. You know, always a good man in boxing. Good to see he's still thriving, um, still throwing punches. Um, do you know what I mean? So happy, but your call is not suitable for a Sky venue. Um, I compare it with like a Goodwin production, which is pretty stripped down, right? Because it's not a broadcast uh, platform, but there's so much more fan engagement, so much more, it's more dynamic, people move around, this, um, we're going to tip our hats off to Sky for, for, I mean, and Boxer for getting it moving, but I don't think, I just don't think their production model works in your call, and they're going to have to work out a way to strip that down, um, because I would what I would do is I'd strip down all of that. I'd strip down the VIP nonsense. Um that, that clown Olly Murs on there. Um we didn't really need him. We just needed we needed that coronation. That coronation moment for Isaac Chamberlain. That is all Saturday night was about. Ollie Murs running into the ring and hugging. I don't care. I don't care how you know Sam Giddy. I don't care why you know Sam Giddy. It's of no interest to me. And so so you end up with this kind of weird crowd, like loads of Skybods, loads of kind of semi-famous people who are just being interviewed. You, mean, you had Link Up TV there. Like, I didn't know people were going to do <laughs> a few drill freestyles. I thought Diggity was going to show up, for God's sake. So it was just kind of this mishmash of stuff where, and maybe I'll come back to this later, I don't know. Between Sky and Boxer, They've got boxing horribly, horribly wrong. Now, I believe they're trying hard. I believe they want to do the right thing, but they've got this thing of, and I get what the premise is. We need to capture what's happening in this online world. Yeah. These YouTubers stuff. we need to capture that energy and apply it to our boxing product, but they can't make it stick. They just can't make it stick because, if I'm being honest, I don't even want to say it's not the age profile of Sky that's the problem. It's the energy profile of Sky that's the problem. You can't aspire to have that YouTuber kind of renegade engage the fans' energy if that's not your default position. Do you see what I mean? Like in in an era now where it's about the attention economy, where appearances everything a lot of these guys at Sky just walk around looking middle-aged and they'd admit that themselves because a lot of them are middle-aged. And so the, the excitement factor is something they need to work on and I think they can and I think they should. But overall, it, it was just a weird crowd. Um, nothing really united them. And that, in a way, that's why I was glad to bump into Rob Martin, um, legend. Please come back to Twitter, Rob. Um, and also, it was just good to spend time with martin um you know kind of like a two-thirds podcast reunion he was out with his lad which is awesome uh max from square mile magazine who i mean helped me become a a published journalist finally so he was brilliant um a couple of ladies from a Fenway that we sat with got to know them they they apparently enjoyed my commentary um it was just like the environment i was in was nice it was a nice environment to watch we're having a laugh you know, we're looking out onto VIP row and seeing those guys struggle. It was just fun. And the view was amazing, right? I, I love that kind of upper balcony York Hall view because I can see the tactical side of boxing the way I like to see it because I can see all of the elements and I can just see the the shape and dynamics of the fight better. Um, you know, when I get carried away, like if I, I want to just feel the moment, then I like to be ringside. But if I want to really break it down and watch and ...and really take it in tactically, then i love to be up on that upper balcony. I think that might be one of the best views anywhere on the planet for watching a fight. Just that upper balcony at your call. So, Boxers should get the credit for making the event happen and making sure the boxers got paid. But I think when they have their debrief, maybe they've already had it, lessons will be learned from that. If you're going to do a show in your call, it has to be accessible for the kinds of people that just want to see fights. That's it. Like it's pretty much that simple. Like you're not trying for super spectacular production values on that. It doesn't make any sense. It's your call, for God's sake. It's a it's a leisure center. Do you know what I mean? Like let's 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 represent it properly. So how about we talk about some boxing for a, for a, for a few minutes? Let's actually get back to the core purpose of this podcast. So let's just fly through this your call card. Um, I had to catch up on the Karis Artingstall fight because I think she boxed as I was traveling up. Here's what I'll say about Karis stall. I haven't seen a woman put down that many people with, a, with with her power punches. Like, put them down. Not not stagger them, not push them onto the ropes. Put them down. She was notorious for doing it on Team GB and she's doing it now as a pro. Unbelievably strong For her weight class. Um, Got the height to match. I think. She's one of my favorite fighters to watch. Male female doesn't matter. I just wish she could get a bit more nastiness in her. I know. I know she's still trying for Paris 2024. And and she's kind of doing that. Kind of dual registration sort of thing. But. When you're in the pro game. Just that nastiness. She's got the power to do it. But. If she can unlock the the inner monster in her, then I think she'll be a force. Cause she's the sort of fighter, and I said this about Chantel Cameron. You imagine in her younger years she was scrapping. Like she she just wants to do it. She wants to fight. There's not there's not loads of finesse to it. But when she gets busy, she gets busy. So happy for Karis Arting stall, uh she could fight for a world title, whenever. I just think she has to manage, I think she has to manage her eligibility for, for Paris 2024, which is what I think the consideration is. Hence, why her and Lauren don't box as often as you'd imagine they would. Which then begs the question why would you pay so much to sign them if you know that they're limited in the number of fights they can have? Don't know, not for me to answer. Uh, Mick Hennessy Jr., Michael Hennessy Jr. versus Joseph Laws. They basically found Joseph Laws. I don't even know. He might have been on holiday. He might have been on a stag doing and they said, mate, do you fancy a fight? And I always thought that would be a very dangerous fight for Michael Hennessy Jr. And here's why. Now, I talked about this in the previous episode. When you come from that kind of privilege, you can have all the boxing technique in the world, all the boxing IQ in the world. If you don't have that, that toughness that comes from not getting everything you want, that toughness that comes from having to overcome adversity in life, in the ring, um, being battered about, doing things on the back foot. If you don't have that, boxing's a very hard game. Joseph Laws has a lot of that. He's been the the kind of gobby Geordie guy who thought he was going to beat everyone on the way to the top, calling out Connor Ben, all of that sort of stuff. He's gone from that to, to being beaten and... Kind of losing his way a bit and pulling himself back, and so he's he's on that rebound now. And so I thought it was a good fight for him. It was a good opportunity for him to to remind the British public that actually Joseph Laws is not a bad kid in the ring. His his thing will always be this thing. He'll out tough you and he'll out like, man you. That's how he wins. It's not going to be on finesse. It wasn't when he was an amateur, but he was a damn good amateur. And so he beat he beats Michael Hennessy Jr. By essentially just being a toughened, being toughened man, being a tough man, a guy who's been through a lot, and who came to ask Michael Hennessy that tough question, "Do you really want to do this boxing?" That's the question he asked Michael Hennessy, and you could see michael just it wasn't in him to come back and stamp his authority on Joe Laws. I must say that would have been an easy thing to do, but it didn't even look like he had that button he could press to go, actually, let's try, you know, let's try imposing ourselves here. I think he said in his post-fight interview he's going to take a break from boxing for a while and just think. And that's not a bad thing for him to do because really his future's not in, it's not in the ring. He'll be a boxing person, and I think he's done enough to be credible in the boxing world, but he'll be a manager, he'll be a promoter, he'll be something else because he's a smart kid. And promoting things in his blood. So I don't want him to... I'm not going to say to him he should stop. But I think it's sensible to take a break and evaluate how good you really are at that level. Because like Joseph Laws isn't a world-beater. And if that's where you're kind of falling short, what are you really fighting for? What are you really getting your head punched in for? Don't know. So what do you do with Joe Laws now? Joseph Laws... I don't know. I genuinely don't know because you wonder if he'd be consistent enough to invest. He's being managed by Lee Eaton, so I imagine Lee will kind of keep him in line. I hope Lee keeps him in line because he's an interesting character. He's the sort of person that style-wise, character-wise, you don't mind him on a card. If someone says, yeah, Joe Laws is fighting, and as long as he's in a competitive fight, it's worth it. But yeah, so we've covered two fights. Um, then there's Sam Gilly versus Louis Green odd one really um, Sam Giddy had like the biggest gloves I've ever seen <laughs> they're insanely large for 10 ounce gloves but it was literally the, the boxer versus the brawler Louis Green we respected him for being Commonwealth champion but technically he looked out of his depth the body shot he got dropped with was ah oh. you watch it slowly and you think If Louis Green just keeps his elbow tucked, he's okay. But it was a split-second flaring of the elbow that just opened up the liver. You can't time that. That was just right shot at the right time. And he dropped him. And after that, you felt Louis Green was chasing the fight and Sam Gilley was just boxing his way over the line. It it was a compelling enough fight without it really catching fire. And the reason it didn't catch fire is Sam Gilley doesn't hit hard enough. If Sam Gilley had the power that Louis Green had that fight would have been done in four or five rounds because there was there was a point in the first round where Louis Green's hit Sam with a right hand and you saw Sam's legs go a bit and you're like oh well maybe maybe Louis Green is the real deal but no it's Sam Gilly. Sam Gilley's another Commonwealth champion I wouldn't be surprised if they get him in with a Lee Cutler or someone of of similar ilk to you know to help elevate Lee. I don't know if Sam Gilly would. Actually, I don't know if he'd fight in December on that Bournemouth card. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Gilly versus Lee Cutler. Is something that's talked about for a belt. I know they're they're high on pushing that kind of um kind of Parkstone SK4 kind of axis of boxes. So I understand that. Although I don't think Lee Cutler's with Kevin anymore. He's not with Kevin Thornley. I don't think so. We'll see. But yeah, that was a good fight, and then the main event um what you say about the main event thought isaac came dressed for a coronation um that venom that venom outfit that he had the gloves all looked incredible all just looked ah yeah he came prepared you know when you when you're coming out in that outfit you got m24 with you um, you know, people have come, like South London's come to to see a moment they, a lot of people have invested in, especially in Brixton. A lot of people wanted to see Isaac kind of crest that wave and, you know, get to that level because they've always believed in him. So it was like a reunion. It was good to see folks out there like Dean White, you know, Isaac paid tribute to Dean White's lost son, which was, I mean, touch of class as well. And then Mikel Lawal comes out. Really good reception, so he must have shifted a fair few tickets. I like the fact that he had good support. I didn't want him to be one sided because Mikhail is a good man, by the way. Like, I've seen him, you know, sometimes I'll bump into him when he's on his runs. He's a good man, he's a good character. And I wouldn't have wanted him to be booed out of York Hall. He deserved, he deserved to be where he was, and he deserved to be in that fight with Isaac. And I thought the York Hall crowd showed enough respect to that. Before the fight, my thing was just, my, my, when I was asked what my tactics would be, I said, just don't give Mikel Lawal a static target at a range he's comfortable with. I wanted Isaac to push him onto the ropes as often as possible. And when you couldn't push him onto the ropes, just stick to the jab, jab and move. And then we had him tied up, march him to the ropes. This is all, if anyone stood next to me, that's all I kept saying. Jab high, jab low. Right, now working back to the ropes. Create space, let the hands go. Because once you give Mikel Lowell his punching distance, he will hurt you. So if you watch the fight back, the first four rounds, Isaac's coasting. Yeah, Lowell can't get his feet set to let the shots go. You know, there were a couple of those those big bombs that he threw that went whistling. And actually, you saw Mikel Lowell's growth as a fighter because we'd all associated him with just a booming right hand. There was a booming left hook in there as well. He, he's, he's evolving as we watch. He's developing. And what I liked about Mikel Lawal, I'm going to come on to Isaac in a sec. I liked Mikel Lawal's ability to adapt because once he realized Isaac was going low, he started to lower the trajectory of his right hand to try and catch him as he was shooting low. And it meant Isaac had to really be on his technique. Um, He made other adjustments where in the first four rounds, he was trying to move around with Isaac to try and catch him. And then he just said, right, I'm going to hold the middle of the ring. And when you come into me, we're just going to fight it out. And that worked until he realized Isaac was stronger than he was in those clinches. So then he was like, I can't do that. And then there was another pivot where he tried to put Isaac on the ropes and work him over. And so when that didn't work, you could see him now going, I think I've run out of tricks here. And I think after about round eight, Lowell was literally trying to see see his way through to the end of the fight, live to fight another day. But if I can catch him, I'll try catching him. And I thought I thought Isaac boxed the most disciplined I've seen in boxing in a long, long time. So credit to his coach Bobby, because Bobby was I thought Bobby gave the right advice at every point in that fight. kept kept Isaac focused on on the game plan and at a time when we are quick to criticize young coaches and say they don't deserve it, that performance there was a Bobby performance. Because remember, Bobby's not there to teach Isaac how to box. He's there to put Isaac in position to win. And he did that. That moment at the end of the fight when Isaac hears the clapper and just starts running around the ring celebrating because the emotion's just there. And what what you saw at the end of that fight, was all of those years of, am I going to make it? i got to get an operation. My hand's this. Uh, uh, this goes wrong. That goes wrong. And he's overcome all of that to be British and Commonwealth champion, two belts that mean something in boxing. And that's why I said at the beginning of this, I hope Sky and Boxing now put their hand in their pocket and say, we can put him in with some of these guys, there, they're lining up for Chris Billum-Smith. I think Chris has got Mastanac on December 10th. Put Isaac in that company. We, we really need to revisit that Chamberlain versus Billum-Smith performance. And the reason I say that is, could Isaac? Could that version of Isaac, and I don't like to triangulate too much, but an Isaac Chamberlain with a full camp and proper sparring and proper prep, what does he do against Chris Billum-Smith? I'm not saying he wins, but it's more competitive. And if that's the case, there's a valid argument for saying these guys should be fighting a similar caliber of opponent. And I know the argument is, ah, well, he's not a world champion and Chris is. Yes. So let's find Isaac someone who is in that league, but maybe doesn't have a belt. I can't believe there isn't a plan for Isaac Chamberlain. Like there has to be a plan and it can't be Vidal Riley. And I know Vidal Riley was there. And by the way, he's a lot bigger in the flesh than he looks on TV. But I don't want to see Vidal Riley. I don't want to see him fight Isaac Chamberlain for no other reason than, like, Isaac's been at British level for five years. He, he's been at that competitive level. And yes, Vidal's got the English title, but we ain't seen him in with a benchmark guy. Like, I'd like to see him in with Scott Forrest. You know, another guy who can box strong, you know, was part of the G B set-up. Let's see what happens when you put him in with guys that I'd say not aren't necessarily peers in terms of age, but in terms of experience in the amateurs of peers. Let's see what happens there. Because he's got to work his way up to that. All right. But all of this, and then and, and this is what this is what I call lazy promotion, is just going, yeah, Chamberlain versus Vidal Riley. Nobody wants to see that. And I come back to this point. We're in this era now where fans get behind the story. And I said the problem with the, the Aziz-Boatsi fight, I'm going to come on to that story as well. The problem with the Aziz-Boatsi fight is this. No one wanted to see those two fight. It didn't make any sense. It wasn't rational. We hadn't been walked down that path. It came out of nowhere. It was just opportunism, and fans don't like opportunism unless it's for something meaningful like Fury Usyk for Undisputed. What we want instead is a guy like Dan Aziz that went Southern Area, English, British, Commonwealth, European. Now will I go and complete the set? That is Dan Aziz's story. Go and complete the set. Because he's done domestic rivalries. He's done Charlie Duffield from the same gym. He's done Andre Sterling from the same gym. He's done Josea Burton, a former British champion. He's done, he's done that to death. So why not let him go and fight those world-level guys? That sound like a broken record. Those guys like Pascal, Joe Smith Jr., Gilberto Ramirez. Why not? Let him go and do that. And if you look at Josh's story, if we're being honest as boxing fans, his story is the Anthony Yard story. Depending on how deep you are in the boxing game, if you were around in 2016, you were there going, yeah, I know Josh... I know Josh is going to the Olympics, but I don't think he beats Anthony Yard in the amateurs. That's what you're saying to yourself. I don't care anything. I don't think he was better than Yard in the amateurs. Yeah? A lot of people felt that. Like, yeah, I know he did this to so-and-so. I know he did that to Lyndon. I know he did that to whoever. I know he did that to Ashley and I know he... Yeah, I know, and I know he's been boxing since he was a junior with Lerone Richards. I know, but I think Yard beats him. And you could never get that thought out of your head, no matter what they threw at you about Josh. That's the itch that Josh needs to scratch. Not a world title, not this, not that. For boxing fans, it is, can you beat Anthony Yard? That's his story. You're not going to sell Josh any other way to the fans other than can you beat Anthony Yard? I don't think many British boxing fans care about Boatsy winning a world title. I've just never heard it. Being honest, I've never heard people say yeah, I'd love Josh to win one. But I've heard a lot of boxing fans say I'd like to see Josh fight Yard. The winner of that, go and fight whoever. But let's sort this out because you guys are faffing around. Now, They had both guys in the same building. They could look at each other. I'm surprised. I'm disappointed Sky didn't leverage that more. I'm disappointed there wasn't a, when are we getting it on? This is what I mean. These things aren't serious. These fights that they tell you are, it's not serious because... I was perfectly placed to watch Josh come out of the the clown enclosure, as I call it, walk up to the VIP row where Tunde and Anthony Yard were set. Anthony Yard comes over. They shake hands, embrace briefly, and move on. Just a quick chat. Know when are we getting it on. And then I was like, well, if Josh doesn't make that fight happen, his, I just, there's nothing I care about, unfortunately. You know, I feel... I can't say he was under-promoted at Matchroom because what Matchroom was saying is we wanted to do everything with him. He didn't want to do anything. Cool. But no interest in that. I felt that was a, a missed opportunity to, to get the fans excited. But to bring that all the way back, v- Vidal Riley's story is not an Isaac Chamberlain story. Isaac Chamberlain's story is not a Vidal Riley story. Isaac Chamberlain's story is much like Dan Azee's. Mate, now you've got the British and Commonwealth... You've got two options. You can avenge your losses, and the fans will understand that, or you can go this way and try and fight for a world title and say, look, I deserve this. The upside for Isaac is he's younger than all of his other rivals. I think he's definitely younger than Billum Smith, younger than Ocoli, um, younger than Riaqpore. He might be the same age as Scott Forrest, just for context. And so this is what I'm saying. They need to build the right plot arc for Isaac. And it's not fighting someone who just won an English. And I'm not saying this to denigrate Vidal Riley, by the way, because I think Vidal Riley's is super talented. I think he's good. He's entertaining. Like I said, he's he's like a light heavyweight in the cruiserweight division. But he's got to give us wins that we're interested in. And he's got to go his own path and build his own story. He doesn't need to build off Isaac Chamberlain, as far as I'm concerned. So let me just start with a quick apology to my listeners in the Northwest. I didn't watch the Linares fight. I've caught up with the, the main event because I'd be I'd be able to speak about it. But in terms of the rest of the card, um other channels have covered that and I thoroughly recommend them. Um hopefully Porky's done it, and if he has, jump on Porky's take, because whatever he says I'll probably agree with. Um but let's focus on Catrol Linares, a fight that never made any sense to me. So, you're going to take a guy in Jorge Linares who was fragile as hell at 130 pounds and bring him all the way up to 140 pounds? Like we're going to see something different? <laughs> you know what I mean, he wasn't he wasn't struggling to make 130 pounds. So he goes up and like Catriel's not a small junior welter. Catriel is a comfortable junior welter, but he's not small at that weight. You can see the size difference in the fight. But here's what it boils down to. And I know I could talk about Catrull winning on points. I think he dropped the if I remember. But here's what it boils down to. You pulled up an old man, a guy who had been boxing for like 20 years. You pulled up an old man to 140 pounds. And that's your showcase fight. That's your showcase fight. Imagine that. That is your showcase fight. So, geez, I, I'm bored even talking about Cattrall, but let's let's talk honestly. Guy's been a pro 11 years, fought 29 times. I don't think you could name me eight Cattrall opponents. I just don't. Unless you jumped on BoxRick, you might pull out O'Hara Davis, Josh Taylor, uh, well now Alinares, that's three. You might pull out Tyrone Nurse and Tyrone McKenna. You're up to five. After that, you're struggling. And... In none of those performances did you go, do you know what? I could watch that again. None of them, right? And I'm a big believer in, if you want opportunities in boxing, you have to be relevant and entertaining. He is not relevant and he is not entertaining. Jack Cattrall is getting headline events because there's a hope that Josh Taylor will fight him. And I hope Josh Taylor never fights him. I genuinely do because I want to see where they take Jack Cattrall if the Josh Taylor fight doesn't happen. What was interesting was Hearn at no point did Hearn say the winner of pro-gray and Haney has to fight Jack Cattrall. What he said was the winner of pro-gray Haney will fight Ryan Garcia. That lets you know Jack Cattrall is a chess piece that's solely there for the Josh Taylor fight. That's it. There's no other fight for him. What, what I can imagine will happen is if O'Hara Davis wins um, the world title, then you'll hear Hearn piping up going, oh, that's a great fight, that's a great fight. But he's not talking about it now because it's not opportunistic. Until the Taylor fight is impossible, there's nothing. Now, if Josh Taylor's smart, he'll just say, I'm not fighting him again. And I'll respect that, by the way, because you know, Cattrall hasn't positioned himself correctly for that fight. And everyone's going to tell me, oh, my God, he beat Taylor. Boxrec says he didn't. The history books say he didn't. Therefore, he didn't. Right? Oh, he was robbed. He wasn't robbed, man. Judges just saw it a different way. And I wish people would get over this because oh, all that happens is Josh Taylor writes something and you get these boxing fans, right? It's normally the bedroom dwellers. Yeah, but Jack will beat you. And you're like, well, no, he didn't. Right? Yeah, you should rematch Jack Cattrall. So think about what they're really saying. What what they're really saying to Josh Taylor is, we don't like you, therefore, we want you to fight Jack Cattrall so he can beat you up again because we can't beat you up. Because think about the reality of a rematch now. Josh Taylor fights Jack Cattrall, right? And what do we say? If Taylor wins... Uh, Jack, what wasn't that good anyway? Bad day at the office for Josh, can see why he's undisputed. Josh Taylor loses, he's been on, been on the slide since he won undisputed. That's what you'll say. You say, yeah, he lost the first one to Catrell, lost to Lopez, lost to Catrell again, he's washed up. So, Jack Catrell doesn't win in these scenarios, by the way. You understand that he doesn't win. And here's, here we go with the fans. Because yeah, yeah, he should fight this guy. No, he shouldn't. Like, if Eddie Hearn's not going to put you in with the winner of Haney Progray, he doesn't value you because you're not entertaining. Your style's horrible to watch. Yeah, and that's always been the case. And that's why people have never invested in Jack Cattrall because you can't say he's not good. He is. He he's a certain kind of boxer, and if you if you like that, if you like that kind of non-committal, counter-punching Southpaw. Awesome. Like, you're one of 25 people. Yeah? I don't. It's not enjoyable. I'd s- If someone told me he retired tomorrow, I'd be happy. Like, can we wheel out Scott Fitzgerald? If we're going to have someone from the Northwest, can we at least wheel out Scott Fitzgerald? Because he seems to be a bit more of a laugh. You see, but those two cards are the problem with British boxing right now. How can you have a match from show... And a boxer show on a Saturday night. And if you put those two cards together, we'd still moan. Like, we would still moan. They, you know, we need to do better. And I don't know what it is. Is it a lack of real talent? Is it an inability of these guys to test themselves against the right people? I don't know what it is. But what my suspicion is there are too many people between the fight happening and the boxers who want the fight to happen. There are all of these people maneuvering shenanigans. Look, I was around this weekend, man. I was around when they were negotiating and talking about certain fights happening in December. I saw it. I'm like, fucking hell, no, just make the fight. Do you know what I mean? Just make the fight. Like, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and the public will just buckle up. All this, what about this, what about that? No. Just stop. Like, and that's one of the problems. You have a lot of people that insert themselves into these discussions that have very little idea about how this game works. That's what's happening a lot. A lot of people are inserting themselves into these conversations who maybe they've got a marketing business or a marketing degree, whatever. They've got their little thing there but they don't understand boxing is a unique beast. Boxing's a lot of horse trading. Sometimes you've just got to put yourself in a harmful position to get the opportunity further down the line. That's how this game works. It's what it's built on. You can't always sit around and wait for the right fight. A lot of people have just been shelved because of that. And it's not nice, but boxing is essentially the trading of meat for profit. And look, like, like I see a kid like Dennis McCann... Dennis McCann's got talent to burn and he's fast becoming the, the next Billy Joe Saunders. So he's left Ibox from what I understand and he's at 10 Goose Gym. Um, both are good gyms. I think if you get to work with Al Smith and Eddie Lamb, I think you're in good hands. I think if you get to work with Joe Goose and you're in good hands. But the question is, why are you changing? Are you changing because your trainers aren't up to par or you're not up to par? Because we're going to find out in the next fight. My thing has always been this. Trainers have a peripheral role in your ability to win. They, they put the structures in place, but that's about it. You have to live the life. All that eating Haribo stuff, do you know what I mean? That's mean? That's the tip of the iceberg, you know? You hear stuff in the traveler community about how he's behaving and stuff. And it just smacks with another Billy Joe Saunders. And I hope I'm wrong on that. I hope he goes to America and he's inspired to be like these other guys, like these Devin Haney's who are never out of shape, always in the gym, always perfecting their craft, testing themselves, challenging themselves. I hope that's who he becomes in America because if he doesn't ditch the, the behavioral issues that have stunted him, if he doesn't mature quickly enough, He'll find that potential wasted. He'll be another Frankie Gavin. That's my worry. And he's too good to end up that way. And that's no disrespect to Frankie Gavin. But Frankie never took it seriously till it was too late. And boxing is so unforgiving because these are the years that McCann needs to maximize his talent and opportunity. He really, really does. Yeah, I'm just aware that I'm talking forever here. Can we just touch on, on Riyadh season? So Fury and Ghanu. I don't mind watching that actually because only the Saudis could give us a halfway decent undercard. So I'm not sure if Solly Dakers is also boxing on this, but we're going to get Fabio Wardy versus David Adelaide, which is a rivalry I never thought I'd love until I saw it. And I go, these two guys on a TV show would be brilliant. Imagine those two having to row the Atlantic. But this is what I mean. Like, you're telling me between Adelaide's manager and Fabio Wardley's manager. No one has gone, hold on. Can you imagine these two having to work together? Or S.A.S. Who Dares Wins. Can you imagine these two having to do stuff together? It would be amazing television because they're, they're both tough men, but they're such different characters. Like, it is like oil and water. Why can't we have that? Why, why is no one suggesting, look, get these guys on just get them to do something. I don't know. They could race each other, race motorbikes, whatever. You know, they could, they could. I mean, have a drum off. People, I mean, get two drum kits and let them go. But no one thinks outside the box. So these guys will never grow. But that tension is compelling because it feels like they're both being themselves. And it's just meshing so well. Even you could see Frampton was like, God, oh, this is good. So I want to see that above all else. I'd like to see Bacoli versus Takam just to see where Bakoli's at. Like we're hearing Billy Nelson talk about him stopping Usyk. I need absolute clarity what he means by stopping Usyk. Like he may have just hit him, nicked an eye or something, and then Usyk said, all right, I've got to stop. Or did he put him down and have him snoozing? I think with Bakoli's either scenario is possible. Um, so... Can you imagine from trying to do this? Fury and Garnu, Bokoli Takam, Adelaide and, what's his name? Slips my mind. Adelaide and Wardley. Heard would never put that on. And if you see the money the Saudis are spending promoting this, and you go, wow. And it anchors the point I made last time. The Saudis will do anything to retain strategic assets. Yeah. This is a good way to combine the boxing in the USC market and get all of those fans looking at Saudi. If you look at Fury, Fury's on a full on um Saudi promo tour. He he's promoting that to everyone, any and everyone, which, you know, is understandable. They're paying him a truckload of money. But in terms of Saudi being the future of boxing, nah. Nah. They have an aspiration to um build Saudi boxes. they have no aspiration to bring people like God I don't even know Liam Williams over because there's no reason to but they want to do the undisputed fight why not and I've loved this week because we've had Fury just <laughs> mocking Joshua because it's true though like, Joshua is literally on the outside looking in do you remember when Hearn was telling us Anthony Joshua only does stadium fights now. We're just going to book stadiums for Anthony Joshua. We're even going to tell you who the opponent is. And now they're talking about Anthony Joshua may have to fight the Wembley Arena. And they'll, they'll style it off and say, well, you know, he's, he's coming back. It's local. It's local to Watford. So all of his people can come and cheer him on. They'll do all of that. But Anthony Joshua was never meant to fight the Wembley Arena once he won a belt. So whatever money Hearn thought he was going to make off Joshua, that number's going down Drastically, and Fury's taking great pleasure in hammering it home. But if he says he's not going to fight Joshua, then he better not fight Joshua. I don't want all of this toing and fro-ing this umming and ah-ing If he's not going to fight Joshua, just don't fight Joshua. Josh is not going to fight Wilder. Let's all just move on. Because of that ridiculous claim that yeah, me and Wilder could be on the undercard of Fury versus Usyk, and I thought what? But I'm also confused. Can someone explain to me? Just so I'm clear on this. Anthony Joshua went on a four-day retreat somewhere. And then he was at the USA Grand Prix. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think he did four days. And why are you having a darkness retreat? To do what? You, you've taken your AirPods, your phone, you've taken your entourage, probably shipped your Range Rover over, like that, to go and sit, in a man-made cave. For what? What did he say? This is how lions are made. Well, I thought it was conception, but okay, this is how lions are made. Just a weird guy. I. I worry about Anthony Joshua. I do. I think. I think the guy might actually have. Mild, a mild form of mental health condition. I don't know what it is, but there's something not right with him, because it's all a bit, all a bit knee-jerk. Maybe this is who he really is—a paranoid, insecure guy. You know, when you're six foot six and you're paranoid and insecure, you can lash out, and maybe that's how he got that reputation in Watford, because none of it makes any sense. And as Fury said, out in the cold, frozen. So, but we'll talk about the the heavyweight division another time. Um, I, I think as a wonderful event, this is going to be good. I wonder what they're going to do for Fury Usyk. Um, no idea. I expect to see Isaac Lowe in there if he wins, because it's Isaac Lowe. But credit where credit's due, for all the years we've complained that British promoters don't put their hand in their pocket, the Saudis have, and look what happens. You know, the discussions about sport washing for other people to have because our country's no angel. We we do a lot more damage than any other country. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not gonna get into that discussion because I don't have clean hands in this. I just say, look, let's just get past this Nganao thing, hopefully never again. Someone did ask me actually, just while I'm at it, they said, what level do I think Ngana would be as a heavyweight? And I said he wouldn't get out the Londons and the amateurs. He wouldn't. He just wouldn't. And watching him with Mike Tyson convinces me that MMA guys don't do boxing. Like, they just don't. As a discreet discipline, they don't do boxing. They may do striking, they don't do boxing. Because he... he, Less said, the better. And on that note, let me tap out and say, guys, enjoy the rest of your week. Um, Hopefully it's a productive week. Um, hey you know what I would say if anyone knows anything about analytics and artificial intelligence they drop me a DM you know I need to expand my network in that space and on that note let me tap out and say have a great week guys